It's good to see everyone out this morning. It's a little bit chilly. Had some cool weather lately, but uh, it makes you appreciate the warmer weather when it comes. If you will, please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6 will be our lesson text from this morning's lesson. And the title of this message is, Shall We Crucify Christ Again? Shall we crucify Christ again? Hebrews 6, verse 6, the Bible says, If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. As we all know from our studies of God's word, that in the first century, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was crucified. Matthew chapter 27, verse 33 through 35. There is no way that I could possibly, or you could, sugarcoat the humiliation, the suffering, the agony, and the shame of the cross, of the crucifixion. Most of us, looking at this audience, I would say, have at some time or another seen a person die. But I doubt you've ever witnessed a real, actual crucifixion. We have never seen a person hanging on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet in a position where the insects can prey upon his body while he is in indescribable pain, where he labors to inhale and then has to push up on the nails that are in his feet to be able to exhale just to get some air. Slowly as he dehydrates, carbon dioxide builds up in the victim's bloodstream, resulting in high levels of carbonic acid in his blood. The heart begins to race faster to circulate what little available oxygen that is in it. And this causes fluid to build up around the heart and lungs until the lungs collapse or the heart fails. Sometimes the heart will even burst. If he does not die from a heart attack, he will die from suffocation. Perhaps it's time to ask a very personal question to ourselves. Would we have helped the Roman soldiers drive the nails into the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ? Would we have helped those soldiers to lift that cross up with Christ upon it and drop it down in the hole that was in the ground? Would we have help that uh, angry mob or been with that angry mob who gathered around the cross like, like, like vultures to mock and to ridicule Jesus Christ as he was hanging there upon the cross of Calvary. Honestly, has there been any time in our lives when we would have taken part in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Those are some very serious questions to ask ourselves and some things to think about. And I'm sure today that each one of us probably said to ourselves in our minds, of course not. There's no way I would have 
had anything to do with the crucifixion of that just man, the Son of God. But would we? This morning, I want to answer about three questions. The first one is, did the Son of God deserve to be crucified? Well, the religious leaders thought that Jesus deserved it, that he should be crucified. But you know what? They could not give Pilate one just cause. In Matthew 27, verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, Pilate saith unto them, what shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, let him be crucified. Now notice. And the governor said, why? What evil has he done? And you know what their answer was? They cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. Let him be. That's not an answer to the question. What evil hath he done? Let him be crucified. They had not answered the question. You know why? There was not one good reason for crucifying the Son of God. He had done nothing wrong. It was very unjust. The people also thought that Jesus deserved to be crucified, but they did not convince the governor either. Because in Matthew 27, verse 24, of course, there was a good reason for him to be crucified to save our sins, but there was not a reason that he deserved to be crucified is the point. The, the people thought that he did, but notice in Matthew 27, verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, listen to this, I am innocent of the blood of this just person see ye to it they had not convinced Pilate at all that Jesus deserved to be crucified the religious leaders of that day could not convince him they could not prove it they didn't have one single good uh, reason why he deserved to be crucified nor did the people even one of the thieves that was crucified beside Jesus announced that he did not deserve to be crucified you remember in Luke chapter 23 verse 41 and we just indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He spoke the truth, didn't he? Not one single thing, not one single thing did Jesus do that was wrong. There was not one single thing that he did that would cause him to deserve such cruel and horrible treatment. Peter said Jesus did not deserve to be crucified. You remember in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus, uh, Peter was speaking there, and he said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What did Jesus do? He went about doing good. He went about healing. He went about teaching the lost the truth so that they could be saved. We all know that Jesus did not deserve to die. He did not deserve to be crucified. Number two, how did our brethren in the first century crucify the Son of God afresh? That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. That they crucified him afresh. What does that mean? To crucify him afresh afresh when you look up that word that's used there in the greek and it's translated afresh it means to re-crucify it means to crucify again 
Jesus was not crucified just one time. He was in that physical sense, but he's been crucified again and again and again and again. It happened in the first century. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, in the New King James Version, it says, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. You ever thought about Jesus being re-crucified? Or being crucified again? That's what Hebrews 6, 6 is teaching. You remember the book of Hebrews was written to people who were really struggling with their faith. Many of them was leaving Christ and Christianity. They were going back under Moses and the law of Moses. They were abandoning the truth. And so the intent of the book of Hebrews was to show that Jesus was worthy of their faith so that they would continue to believe in him. Because Hebrews 1, Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. Hebrews chapter 3, he's a greater lawgiver than Moses. Hebrews chapter 4, he is a greater rest provider than Joshua. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 through chapter 10, verse 12, Christ is a greater high priest than Aaron. There were those who were turning away from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, the Bible says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest happily we drift away from them. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which having at the first been spoken through the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard. That's the American Standard Version. Where it says that they were slipping away from the things that they had heard. They were slipping away from the truth. They were drifting away from the truth. When one turns away from the gospel, he is actually departing from God. Hebrews 3 verse 12, the Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. When one departs from God, he, he sins willingly and he is trampling on the Son of God. Remember in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, they, uh, they were exhorted to not forsake the assembling of themselves together. As it says, not forsaking the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willingly after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. In other words, he's saying to those that were, were turning their backs on Christ, they were leaving Christ and Christianity, they were leaving the truth. He said, look, there's no more sacrifice for you. There's no sacrifice under Judaism that's going to save your soul. You can't be saved by the blood of bulls and goats. When you leave Jesus, you've left your hope. You've left your everything. And then he says in verse 29 of Hebrews 10, he says, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy 
who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. Many times we use Hebrews 25 to talk about forsaking the assemblies of the church, and, and it can be used that way, no doubt. But really in the context, it's really talking about them doing more than that, but turning their backs on the Lord and leaving. Just like we see people from time to time when they, they leave the Lord. They, they stop assembling. They stop worshiping God. They leave the truth. They no longer live the truth or preach the truth or stand for the truth. That's what was going on in the book of Hebrews. And, and the writer points out, he illustrates it this way. You are trampling underfoot the Son of God when you leave the truth. When you leave the church, when you leave the Lord, how many have we known over the years that are out there right now trampling underfoot the Son of God? Those people that give in to sin, they give up on the Lord. And when they do that, you know what they're doing? They are crucifying the Son of God again perhaps these people in the first century were not really aware of the seriousness of their unfaithfulness they may have reason like this well a lot of people do this well to some folks if a lot of people are doing it that it must be okay or it isn't easy to live a christian life or if God really loved me, he would not have let my child die. Or my husband or my wife to have left me. But unfaithfulness to the Lord means that one is involved in crucifying the Son of God again. Number three, why do people crucify Christ today? Why do they crucify him afresh? Why do they turn their backs on him today? Why do they leave him? Why do they leave the church? Why is this building not packed today? You know why? Because many people are out crucifying Jesus or re-crucifying him again. Some do not realize the seriousness of their behavior. Perhaps they've never really thought about crucifying the Son of God afresh. And I'm sure if you ask them, would you have taken part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on that horrible day when he was nailed to that old rugged cross? They would surely say, of course not, definitely not. There's no way that I would have. All the while, they're crucifying him afresh today what did jesus say about those that crucified him the first time in luke 23 verse 40 uh, luke 23 verse 34 then jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do i'm convinced a lot of people have left the lord and they really do not know the seriousness of what they have done 
There may be those, and I'm sure there are many, that have left the Lord's church and they're in man-made churches today and they're just their conscience does not bother them. They do not realize, they do not know what they have done. It is hard to believe that people so blessed by Jesus in His day would ever turn on Him and viciously crucify him that's hard to comprehend but that's exactly what happened when we talk to those who have become unfaithful to the Lord we hear excuses that that probably have led you to believe that they are really unaware of the seriousness of their actions I'm sure you've heard people make excuses and say things like this well I just got out of the habit of going to church. Or, you know, really, I am so busy with my work. Or, well, I have a home situation where I'm not encouraged to attend. It's kind of hard to do everything on your own, right? Or, I'm attending some, I heard this one uh, a few years back. I am attending some different denominations so my wife can see what's wrong with them. Like he was going to convert her once they traveled around and saw everything. Well, there are others that have let something happen to their faith. The Bible warns about guarding your faith, protecting your faith. Because this, the devil always wants to take shots at your faith. He wants to tear down your faith. He wants to damage your faith in any way that he can. In Hebrews 3.12, the Bible says, Take heed, brethren. That means when you hear it, see, take heed, that's a warning. It's like your caution light's going off. Take heed, be careful. Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Notice this. And departing from the living God. Not that they were never with the living God. They were with the living God, but they received an evil heart of unbelief and they left God. When one examines the examples in Scripture of those who became unfaithful to Christ, he soon realizes that the heart of the problem is a heart problem. Take Ananias and Sapphira, for example who sold some property and they uh, they planned, they schemed together to go before Peter and them and to make it pretend like they were giving all that they received from the property, which they didn't have to do. And so they actually lied to God. And you remember in Acts 5 verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart? To lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. He's filled his heart. Satan, a heart problem. You remember Simon in Acts 8 who had bewitched the people? And then when Philip went to Samaria and he, he preached Jesus Christ and he did those many miracles that Simon saw them and he believed he was converted and he was baptized. But it wasn't long after that when he saw the apostles laying hands on the people and them receiving the Holy Ghost that he tried to buy that gift. 
But what was his real problem? Well, in Acts 8, verse 21 and 22, Peter said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Why? For thine heart is not right in the sight of God. You see, the heart of the problem is a heart problem. That's where the real problem lies. In verse 22, he said, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Some have departed from the Lord because and crucified him afresh because they have been mesmerized by the pleasures of sin. And they've chosen the pleasure of sin over suffering with the saints. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 Talking about Moses, the Bible says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So evidently there is pleasure in sin. If there were no pleasure in sin, there would be no temptation in sin. Who wants to do something that's not enjoyable? But here we see that that pleasure only lasts for a short season. And then one has to pay for his sins. Many today just simply left the Lord because they got caught up in sinful lifestyles. Serving sin instead of their Savior. Serving self instead of others. There's a great danger in that. We see example after example after example in the Bible. It's just from, from beginning to end, we have examples of people, and some were strong at times, and thought they could not fall. But yet they did. Some have been carried away by false doctrines. Bible teaches that would be the case. Again, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, the writer says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. There are so many divers and strange doctrines in the religious world today. Some of them you're just amazed that anyone could promote or teach something so far from the truth. It seems like people in our world want things that are more fascinating to them, that's more unbelievable rather than believable. When I listen to these guys on television, I hear them preach of these different persuasions, and I hear some of the things that they say, and it's like, who in their right mind would believe something like that? And then when I hear our brothers on on the uh, TV program and they're preaching the plain truth just like it is. They're, they've laid it out there. It's organized. They give book, chapter, and verse. It's so simple. It's so plain. It's so easy to be understood. Yet few people even want it. They would rather you tell them a lie, something that's really fanciful, Instead of just a plain, simple, unadulterated truth. They would rather believe a lie first. Oh, when they get off on these teachings about the Holy Spirit and all these mysterious things and 
they just ooh and ah and they wow and the Bible warns about being led away from the Lord. You see, whether you're led away by by the glamour and the the, the short times of moments of pleasure of the sin of this old world or whether it be that of following after false teachers and believing and teaching false doctrines you're still crucifying the son of God afresh you see many times we people want to make it sound like it's not so bad but we need to let people see it like it really is the way God sees it God says, when you leave him for these other things, you're crucifying my son again and again and again. And we'd say, oh, no, I would never re-crucify Jesus Christ. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. And we can be guilty of it if we're not careful. Here's another thing that, that people allow to cause them to leave the Lord, and that is some become bitter. I hate to see anyone become bitter. I'm convinced, and this is my opinion, that bitterness is one of the most difficult things to overcome. When a person becomes bitter, and some become bitter by a failure to identify the right source of troubles and hurt and disappointments in life. And what do they do? They blame God. And they leave the Lord. Now that's very true. It happens a lot. And we need to make sure that it does not happen to us because we know, as Job said in Job 14, 1 and 2, the troubles are coming. This life is filled with difficulties and troubles and, and heartaches and, and we have to see people die, those that we love, say goodbye to them and, and then we struggle in life many times and have a lot of heartaches and we see things that breaks our hearts but we need to be sure that we remember that God is not the source of these things. The devil really is, not God. We think, oh, I prayed for so-and-so, I prayed for this family member, and that family member died, and so why did God let that happen? Why, why didn't God keep that person alive? Or why didn't God do this? Or why didn't God do that? Well, God's busy doing, working through his providence. Don't think that he's not. That's why we keep praying. But God is not going to perform miracles today. And to keep some people alive, it would take a miracle because of the situation, the, the disease and the sicknesses that they have. And, and just old age. We're dying every day. And we pray for God to allow us to live forever. He can't answer that prayer. It goes against the way everything has been set up. And so eventually... If things, accidents and sicknesses and things of that nature do not get us, we grow old and then we die. The Bible teaches us that. But let's not blame God. And for those that are faithful in Christ Jesus, that's the best thing that could happen. Think about Job. Y'all all know the story of Job and what happened to Job. But in Job chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that thou hast is in thy power, all that he hath, talking about Job, is in thy power, 
only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. All those things that Job thought God was doing to him and taking away from him, the whole time it was the devil behind it. The devil. When you face difficulties and heartaches and things in your life, realize the devil's behind every evil, wicked, and bad thing. Not God. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. The other stuff comes from Satan. He's behind it. It started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. When he deceived Eve. In Job chapter 2 verse 7. The Bible says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Who was that inflicting that pain upon the, the righteous man Job? It was not God. It was Satan. God's not going to prevent us from having to go through any trials and tribulations and hardships. He's not. But he's given us everything we know to be able to successfully pass those tests. And to come out on the other side stronger and better and more pleasing in his sight than beforehand. But the last thing you want to do is curse God as Job's wife told him to do. Or blame God. Realize the devil is your enemy. Not God. God is for you. So much so he gave his only begotten son to die upon the cross. John 3, 16. So you could be saved. And you could make it through all these trials and tribulations and difficulties in life. With a smile on your faces knowing that no matter what happens to you. One day you will be in heaven. With God. And all the redeemed of all ages. God has made a way in spite of what Satan has done and what we do to ourselves. God has still made a way for us to, to be able to leave this old wicked sin-cursed earth and one day be with him in that beautiful place called heaven. Let's not crucify the Son of God afresh. One time is enough. Let's not be guilty. Let's not be partakers of that. Let's not re-crucify him again and again and again. And I guess the bright spot in this whole message is in my conclusion. You know, some say that there's no hope for those who crucify the Lord afresh. No hope. Well, Hebrews chapter 6, depending on how you read it, might would give you that impression. Beginning with verse 4 through verse 6, the Bible says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Who's he describing? He's describing none other but a Christian in the first century. That's all that is. Christians in the first century. That's a description of them. That's what, what they had uh, been able to see and being able to do and to witness all those good things. But then it says, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing 
they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And so many look at that as saying, for it is impossible for them to repent. That's really not what that passage is teaching at all. If the people who first crucified the Lord could be forgiven, and they were, many of them, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through verse 24, it would seem strange then to argue that these who re-crucify the Lord cannot be forgiven. There is, of course, no forgiveness if they continue crucifying him again, but if they repent, pray for forgiveness, and return to the Lord, they are forgiven. What hope would we have if that's not the case? There are some people who are not going to stop crucifying the Lord. You can go to them over and over and over again and they have received the strong delusion or else their minds and hearts have just become so hard that they'll never return to the Lord. They can't be saved. You can't keep crucifying the Lord and be saved. But at any time that those people will have that change of heart and do what's been commanded, they can be forgiven. You can't be too bad. Didn't Paul use himself as an example? When he mentioned all the horrible things that he did, but yet when he obeyed the gospel, he was forgiven? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 mentions many horrible sins, and then he says, and such were some of you, past tense. Those that have lived in sin, some have thought, well, I've committed so many sins, I've been so bad, there's no use in me even trying to be saved. I'm unworthy in all these things, but you know what? Not only will he save them if they'll obey the gospel, for those who have obeyed the gospel, but then later perhaps became mesmerized by sin, fell into one of Satan's traps, maybe got led astray by a false teacher, any of these things that we've mentioned. For those people, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you had been there on that day, when they beat Jesus, they forced him to carry the cross until he fell beneath the load. They got him help, and then they still nailed him to the cross. If you had been there, would you have taken part in that? If you say no, then let me ask you this. Is there any way that you could be crucifying Christ afresh today? If yes, then there's hope. Stop. Whatever it is, any sin that you've been caught up in, 
Stop. If your faith is weak, study. If you're forsaken this assembly, stop. Repent. And pray. And God will forgive you. And you can start afresh. You can start all over again. That's the message that we need to be sharing with our brothers and sisters that have abandoned the faith. Just because they've abandoned the faith and they've crucified Christ afresh, it's not all over. As long as they're alive and in their right minds, they can still return and be restored and stop crucifying him afresh and start afresh in living their Christian lives. I thank God that he has made a way for imperfect, weak people like ourselves to be in him, with him in heaven some sweet day. We don't have to crucify Christ afresh. And if we are, we need to stop. If you're here and you haven't obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do so by doing the very same thing that all the people in the book of Acts that you read about, the example that they gave, uh, they did to be saved, that is, believing in Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing him before men, and then being baptized for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Be faithful unto death, Revelation 2.10, he'll give you a home in heaven. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so this morning, if you need to respond for any reason, won't you come as together we stand and sing.